0: What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, ride the lightning. Tampa Bay draws even in the Stanley Cup final, validating my willingness to pay a big price on a hockey game. Then it's a look back at the Monday night football game. We're losing four small bets somehow feels worse than losing one big one but we find a silver and black lining with how that result creates some value in week three then it's an update on the big mlb division parlay plus another rousing edition of tuesdays with ted regrettable nfl bets and his take on bryson dechambeau it's time to head to the window let's go Welcome to The Window, I'm your host, Matt Russell. And before we get to the Monday Night Football game, which of course is, by and large, everybody's biggest interest, we do have to address a little thing called the Stanley Cup Final Game 2. And listen, if I go and I lay minus 150 or at or around that, or certainly more than that, which I think has happened literally one time this entire playoffs, you know I feel pretty strongly about a hockey game, which is you know, sort of antithetical to how I would normally take hockey, given that I just kind of think in a lot of cases, it's based on luck and bounces. And, you know, obviously, who can convert the most chances and who can create the most chances in order to have the best chance at a high volume of conversions. And, you know, talked about how, the expected goals from game one were 1.36 for Dallas and 1.82 for Tampa Bay. And I certainly thought that that was at least going to be the case for game two. And that if Tampa could convert on the power play, which you know, they're bound to do at some point here, that they were still a pretty good bet at a probability number that I had much higher than what the game line was. And honestly surprisingly enough uh the lightning and stars were actually the exact same level uh or i shouldn't say exact same but pretty darn close in their expected goals for and goals against five on five 1.38 so actually a little bit better in game two for the stars and 1.76 so actually a tiny bit worse for tampa bay but you still had roughly that same ratio of expected goals for and goals against and so At least that kind of shows us through, you know, two games here, small sample size, that there's a consistency in how these games are being played out five on five. Now, what happened last night was Tampa was rewarded with some power plays early on in the game because they were playing, you know, downhill, so to speak, uh, you know, and the stars were sort of on their heels, and then they were able to convert those, right, into three goals. And then, of course, Dallas spent the rest of the game pushing back, pushing back, because this team just does not quit uh of course we had the standard offside goal getting disallowed and that whole scene so you know happy to cash that felt a little bit closer than it needed to be especially when you go into the first intermission you know three nothing Um, but now we're back on even playing terms here again my series price that i got at minus 179 where i talked about how the true price is closer to minus 220. That series price is now up to around minus 200. There's some minus 195s out there, which again, you know, I've said it before when I've been on sort of the underdog side, I still don't really understand why after a 1-1 split, that these series prices go up in favor of the favorite right the underdogs already shown that they can win a game and the series becomes a best of five and that obviously helps the underdog Um, but you know again it is what it is Uh, if you happen to have the tampa series price at minus 179 and you're seeing now that you can get dallas at a plus 175 or 180 and for some reason you feel like you've seen something in this series that would lend you to believe that Dallas can win this series, you do still have the option to come over the top and take Dallas the rest of the way. For me, again, just based on these numbers for the first two games here with the expected goals for and expected goals against being about the same in favor of Tampa Bay, for me, I'm just going to let that go, right? I'm letting that ride uh, i nothing's really changed for me I still think the value is on Tampa Bay here uh, based on that 179 that I got before so no reason to sort of change anything whereas you've seen me in the past, literally in the last series with the Dallas and Vegas matchup going back and forth depending on sort of where the value was relative to the number that I could create. And in this case, I just think the number's fine here with Tampa Bay going forward. So that being said, game three, you know, they've tweaked the price there, minus 155, minus 160, right, obviously considerably different than the minus 140, minus 150 that was available for game two. Again, nothing has changed other than Tampa has shown that they can win a game in this series, which I mean, we all kind of knew in the first place. So um, that's, you know, we're back to a stay away here for game three. um, And then just going to basically let this series play out, right? If Dallas wins the next game, and the Tampa game line comes back down, then I'd be interested in that if Dallas wins the next game and the series line comes back down below you know even money right we talked about how through down 101 the appropriate series price for tampa bay based on my numbers was minus 105 and excuse me minus 109 and the best price out there was minus 105 right we'll chop those numbers up sort of when we get to it uh if we need to get to it and obviously if tampa wins then you know at two to one we're probably just riding out the rest of the series so um all in all right good result there that was great Blah 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 uh, no NBA to talk about, so we can get into the Monday night football action here. and a couple of things, right? So going in, talked about it all week, how I had no real you know case to be made for either team. if I could you know if it was going to go up to like plus six and a half, I would have you know have to take the Raiders at that point. Um, and even sort of six was interesting to me, but it sort of lingered at five and a half once the Michael Thomas news in, you know injury news was sort of you know signed and sealed that he wasn't going to play. And then you have this big move down to four yesterday in the afternoon, which, you know, a big move like that, especially downwards to an underdog, is a pretty big indicator that, you know, obviously some pretty sharp money came in on Vegas. And so you don't have. You know, you didn't have just a bunch of public money coming in on the underdog and everybody sort of rallying behind that cry. I don't, you know, that clearly wasn't the case. So, you know, at that point, unfortunately, that's not the be all and end all. That doesn't guarantee Vegas the win necessarily. And so for me, that was a stay away uh, across the board. Now, I liked the under right? I grabbed the under 49 and, you know, first quarter that looked, you know, we had the ground game going, we're cheering for, you know, four yards in a cloud of dust and both sides were kind of doing that. I also had the under on both quarterbacks and so was feeling pretty good about that and then I don't know what happened but something happened in the second quarter where things just got completely unruly and out of control and I have to tell you my biggest sort of disappointment here for all of the talk out there about how Drew Brees uh arm looks shaky and listen i was the captain of that team right i'm the one i had under drew Brees because i knew you know we weren't going to see any downfield throws and we likely weren't going to see any big gains on passes of any kind right it was going to be a ton of checkdowns and under 265 and a half for me was a good enough number to bet and i still don't really regret that right first of all he only hit that be based on that last drive where it was again, more checkdowns with less than a minute to go. Um, Derek Carr gets over the number as well. So my point was, I'm really more disappointed in the Saints defense, right? I went in going like this Saints defense has been the key to this team the last year or two. And the offense is, you know, obviously sort of mechanical and efficient, but not as explosive as it has been in the past, and that its reputation is still kinding, kind of building upon, right? So you've got Breeze with his sixty-eight percent, you know, completion percentage and his three hundred twelve yards. But I think you and I both know, if we watch that game, that those were pretty heavily inflated numbers that we didn't necessarily expect to see, especially after sort of the early on pace where the run game was doing so well, right? Kamara, 6.1 yards. Um, Jacobs, 27 carries overall. If I had seen all of that, right, I would have felt pretty good about both those props numbers and the totals, right? The yards per play, though, 7.4 for the Saints and 4.9 for the Raiders. And so you sort of ask yourself, how is that even possible That that big of a discrepancy, right? We're full two and a half yards per play, um, leads to a Raiders win, and that's sort of a you know numbers lie type of a situation here. Uh, But you know again that you know interception by Breeze, that you know there's three points right there, Um, and you know the Raiders were just I don't want to say fortunate, but you know it was that sort of it was like the Bengals, right? Where it was like let's just get five yards at a time here for some reason you know, the Saints defense couldn't get any pressure on Derek Carr. I mean, I guess he was getting the ball out relatively quickly, but that defensive line is, you know, better than that, or at least we think they are. And so, you know, so we lose the under, we lose the the props, and of course, you know, I'm not putting a full unit on any of these, right? I'm just sort of, you know, a collective unit across the board on all of this stuff and so you end up losing what ended up being four bets because I then went live with the Saints when they were down seven getting the ball pretty early in the second half and I was able to get sort of a rogue plus 130 that the other four books or excuse me the other three of our four books that we work with you know, weren't offering. They were offering even money. So if one book's gonna offer plus 130, sure, maybe they know more than I do, but I'm going to take that and then sort of ride that out. And of course the saints get a couple of big chunks of yardage right away and get into the raid in raider territory. And then they just kind of blow it from there and a really undisciplined effort from the saints as well. And you do sort of wonder, you know, kind of conspiracy theory type of a thing here, But, you know, holding hasn't been called all that much this season, right? They've made a point, you know, of emphasis to sort of dial back the holding calls because people hate offensive line holding calls, right? Because it usually, well, pretty much always takes away a decent play from the offense and it's incredibly irritating. And so the NFL has, you know, in through week one had way less holding calls called. And so now all of a sudden the Saints are, who have a pretty good offensive line, And the Raiders who have a real struggle to create uh pressure over the course of the last couple of seasons all of a sudden they're doing so well that this good Saints offensive line is holding a ton like that's a little bit questionable for me so you sort of kind of wonder what exactly was going on when it comes to that so um, disappointed in sort of you know the undisciplined penalty element and just the defense not being able to get pressure and not sort of adjusting to the fact that again Derek Hart is not going to throw deep on you sure he will uh, super late in the game and gr- getting a pass interference call that looked a little bit shaky as well. Um, But by and large, right, he's not going to beat you deep. That's not really what he does. So um, disappointed in the Saints. That being said, right, silver lining time. Talked about yesterday on the podcast and then tweeted out one of three plays to grab before the lines move after Monday night, and that was Green Bay plus four at the Saints. And doesn't that look pretty good right now, right? The number has moved across three down to minus two and a half because of what we saw with the Saints and Drew Brees, you know, again, struggling with some arm strength, we think here. Um, And then, of course, the potential of Mike Thomas, not Michael Thomas, not being... Uh, available for that game and of course obviously Green Bay just looking really good and sort of so far knock on wood for them avoiding the injury bug so um, jump the line there really nicely and sort of on the flip side we've got a Raider team coming off a really big high here going on the road to guess where New England coming off of a loss so you've got Belichick with rest on the law excuse me (laughs) off the loss and the Raiders on a classic letdown spot going on the road against a team that, frankly, I think is better than them. And so that line has moved down from six and a half to six, right? And so the key there, of course, is the creation of value based on what we saw from the Raiders. I don't know that it's going to be all that easy for the Raiders. And frankly, it wasn't that easy when you look at the yards per play. And again, that's why we look at the yards per play, not to necessarily you know, moan about, you know, how one team was much better than the other team. But it's really to sort of inform us how good that team actually was in a win and how bad the other team was in a loss. So, you know, going forward, right, like the Saints at 7.4 yards per play, And only giving up 4.9, like that's a good thing for them going forward. And I'm not necessarily saying that we have to stick with the Packers at plus four. I'm just saying that that's a good number to have in our pocket as we move forward here, seeing that the line is minus two and a half and could very well drop a little bit from there. Who's to say this game doesn't end minus one or something like that, right? Because having seen that performance from the Saints, that sort of on the surface looks mediocre at best you know, from a numerical standpoint, like, that's still pretty decent. It's just that they weren't able to stop the Raiders, you know, in their tiny increments of yardage, right? Their 4.9 yards per play on 76 total plays, right? The defense was out there a really long time, or for a lot of plays, because the offense wasn't, you know, the yards that they were able to accrue, especially early on, came relatively quickly, and then it just sort of dried out from there a little bit. So, again, Now we're looking at this going like, should we be afraid of the Raiders going to New England? And to me, I say no, right? Four point nine yards per play is not going to get it done against the Patriots, who are going to have a much better plan for the Raiders offense, having been able to sat back and look at this game, and of course, their first game. And then you go, okay, well, what about the rushing yards, right? You now you really want to worry about the rush yards when it comes to you know, the Raiders and their defense, and of course, the Patriots, obviously, they're leaning towards the run game a little bit more. Um, you know, six point one per carry for Kamara and 4.7 for Murray did they run enough frankly I don't think so right that's only there's only 16 carries between the two of them you're gonna get a lot more of that from from the Patriots than you are from the Saints so I think we have got bad matchup coming up here for the Raiders we've got a a win that's sort of lowering the spread. Maybe we even get five and a half. Who knows? We've got the Patriots coming off a primetime loss. Not that they looked bad necessarily, but it's, you know, at least it sort of puts in the minds of people that they're beatable and, and, you know, just a terrible spot here for the Raiders. So there's, you know, sort of two things here. One, glad we waited on grabbing the Patriots because now we can see, you know, what kind of spot we're dealing with here with the Raiders from a scheduling standpoint and not being afraid to grab a minus six or hopefully a minus five and a half. And if it goes back to minus six and a half, that's fine too, but it just gives you an idea of, you know, how that number has changed based on really, you know, one result which again we cannot overreact to one result we'll let the market overreact to it and we'll sort of go the other way with it right and so on the flip side we've created this plus four with green bay that now we can go in and if we want to we can grab the saints here if they if we feel like they could bounce back and either shoot for a middle we could come over the top with with the saints um, you know bunch of different options that of course we'll address later on but it's nice having that plus four in our back pocket going forward So. You know frustrating to lose four bets that all sort of equaled you know about a unit unit and a half um and it sort of is more frustrating that you lose the four bets because it just felt like nothing went correctly um but at the same time like i'll lose one bet for more than that you know more than the cumulative four bets that were lost yesterday um you know time a circa contest play loses for example or that atrocity from last thursday where the browns somehow didn't cover right like that was annoying for a completely different reason but i lost more money doing that than i did losing four bets on monday night football so you know, that is what that is, um, across the board. As for the rest of the NFL, um, you know, sort of digging into it yesterday after the podcast, this is going to be a hold your nose weekend. And that's certainly kind of par for the course, when it comes to week three, right? Because week one is sort of the immediate overreaction. And then week two is, oh, now we've got all of these teams figured out, right? And as much as I sort of confidently say, you know, Minnesota stinks, right? Like, I'm not... It's still just two games. Like, in theory, they could get it figured out. I don't love the matchup for for them against Tennessee here, and that's why Tennessee was a quick play for me under three because I think just that number goes higher... Um, as we get closer to game time and if it doesn't I'd be very surprised if it kind of goes the other way but there are so many underdogs here you know obviously talked about the Patriots being a favorite and there's a couple other favorites that I'm going to like as well but there are so many underdogs here that in week three are real tough to back right (laughs) and so we'll get into that of course later on in the week sort of once I flush out more of this stuff here but just the way these lines are shaping up because of last week and all of the favorites winning outright there's going to be some serious inflation here on some of these favorites and the ones that aren't inflated are they're not inflated because there's already been some sharp money on the underdog that is keeping the line down for now and sort of making it look even more interesting and sort of suckering in some people i think here to betting the favorite um, as we go forward here, so all of this stuff we're going to talk about later on in the week um quick mention about baseball, the Toronto Blue Jays beat the Yankees, Hallelujah, our long national nightmares over the Blue Jays have gone over their win total, and we cash that out. But the big you know order of business here down the stretch, of course, is our Minnesota al central bet that of course is tied to tampa bay and atlanta as part of a parlay that's been about 10 to 1 right release that about three weeks into the season and so you know as we're sort of following that here um trying to look at the game odds for today it's all over the map doesn't seem like we can get an idea of who's starting for cleveland of course cleveland gets the win yesterday relatively comfortable, got a little bit close towards the end. And that has moved the standings rights now down to one and a half games, Minnesota behind uh, the Chicago White Sox. And so You know, I'm not sure right now who's going to start for Cleveland. It seems to be between Bieber and Quantrill based on sort of what the sports books are kind of putting out there right now. Um, In both cases, I think they're going to be favored against Lopez, who I believe is starting for the White Sox. And so that's great news for me, right? If the favorite can win there, and of course, Minnesota starting a two-game mini series against Detroit, you know, they're going to be favored, of course, in both games, especially tonight. And so if both favorites can win tonight, we can get this thing down to a half game. That's really awesome. So I'm not necessarily advocating, you know, grabbing the favorite in both. I'm just happy to be the favorite in both of those matchups. Um, given how some of the stuff went last week, where it kind of, you know, our deficits grew, in, you know, both the NL West, which of course is long gone now, um, and the AL Central. Um, As for the rest of the slate, you know, again, between changing of pitchers and teams that are kind of phoning it in here with, you know, five or six games to go, like, it's just not worth it. I'll sort of keep my eye on things with regards to sort of who's coming into the postseason hot and that kind of thing but beyond that right like there just isn't any reason to sort of chase after some sort of baseball results that you know could be pretty hairy here down the stretch because especially with some of these teams you don't know like how much do they even really care about winning the division or where they end up seated in the sort of you know second place and the wild card and all of that kind of stuff because we're getting right into it no wild card game it's all happening kind of right away On I believe it starts on Monday, uh, if not Tuesday. So um, that's it with regards to baseball. And then finally, with regards to the NBA tonight, right, obviously nothing going on last night, as I mentioned earlier. Um, But for me, right, this line is now ticked down to six and a half here. And, I mean, listen, like, I talked about how I made the 10-1 to 1 Nuggets bet before Game 2 and was kind of brokenhearted when that shot went down because, you know, I don't really feel like the Nuggets have a chance to now win the series, and that's obviously indicated by the fact that their to-win-the-series number is now 20-1. to 1. And so, you know, it's a matter of is, are we just kind of kind of let that go, let that loss kind of happen, given that we won Game 2 on the spread... And just kind of take, you know, the the even Steven type approach there. Uh that being said, Lakers minus six and a half when it was seven and a half, and again, what's changed, right? Again, all that's changed is that the Nuggets, you know, had a good second half push and were able to keep that one close and of course almost win it. I just I mean it's hard for me to bet the Nuggets. It's it's literally impossible. I won't bet the Nuggets at plus six and a half. Um, so for me, that lean would be to the Lakers minus six and a half in that one. But it's certainly not necessarily a play for me um, in this one. So um, talked about it in the tease and you know, it's Tuesday, right? So we do what we do on Tuesday. It's some old fashioned sports talk radio with our own spin time for Tuesdays with Ted. Ted Ballantyne, how are you, sir?
1: I like you calling it old fashioned sports talk because I, I think with that means, you know, coded is that this talk coming up is really going to be of no use to you whatsoever.
0: Well, and I said, you'll recall like that very first time that we did this, I said, I led into it saying, like, I don't know if we're going to get any sort of sports betting value from any of this, but I think (laughs) because I don't really plan to in a way listen you know people come here and and we talk a lot of numbers all the time we talk value we talk about you know some relatively deep sports betting you know stuff and sometimes we just want to talk about sports and have a laugh or two right and that's sort of where you come in every tuesday
1: and you come and you talk me into the jags plus eight uh uh, taking 10 minutes just crafting a beautiful argument and then i just take none of your advice
0: well, and it's funny that you go right there because, and we haven't talked about other than to say, hey, do you want to talk some NFL, et cetera, um, but I literally have written down still my just bitterness that you refused to believe me on the Jags for week one, <laughs> and that was regrettable, I think you'd admit. So, did you have any regrettable bets from yesterday? Excuse me, um,
1: I probably, the Jags were not one of my regrettable bets. Um, I remember watching that game, and well, well, I was watching Red Zone, and uh, they they were featured on this Red Zone. And at one point, it was like, oh, 4.36 to go. Connor Minshew with the balls, got to drive the field. I'm like, Connor, 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 Connor. Gardner, Gardner, yeah. Gardner. And, and I was like, oh, you know what? I'm in. Let's go Jags. Let's see how well you can do it. And uh, yeah, no, that one came together. I decided to, to stick with your Jags. And that's one that proved pretty good. I think the only one I had that was just an absolute disaster um, was – and uh, in our fantasy pool, you saw me, for whatever reason, reach for Matt Stafford early, reaching for my backup quarterback in the sixth round. And sure. um, uh, yesterday, my my Lions plus six did not go particularly well.
0: Yeah, I, t- I tweeted about this too, and it was sort of you know, pre-predicting it was waiting and waiting and waiting to get a plus seven and i managed to get a plus seven and then tweeted out like i've waited all week to get plus seven with the lions i can't wait to regret that you know in four hours (laughs) and for the first hour it was great right matt stafford's out there doing stuff they're up 14 to three we got an old-fashioned nfc north you know, probably a field goal type of a game here. Can Aaron Rodgers come back? And not only did he do that, but he scored a billion points. And you and I were both left holding the bag uh, on the Lions. But oh, I can't blame sure. him then- for that. I'm
1: watching them, I'm watching them go and and you know how you're watching Red Zone and it's like it's, it's, a majority of it is, you know, going live, bouncing back and forth between games. But as you bounce back and forth between games, and by the way, we need to talk about Red Zone a little bit, but as we bounce back and forth between games, obviously you're seeing the other games show the highlights from around the league. And there was like a, 10 15 minute period there where I'm just seeing a bunch of Lambo leaps into the empty stands and I'm just like is that the same one or was that a new one and then it turned out it was you know it was all new ones a multiple amount of times and then all of a sudden uh, my lions uh, were not going to cover that six.
0: Yeah, that uh yeah that was regrettable across the board. Can I tell you something? I've never yeah. watched Red Zone. I should like I've I I obviously have it as part of the sort of NFL game pass package i have seen it it is sometime forced upon me because at halftime of whatever game it goes to sort of the red zone guy uh hansen i believe is his oh name. scott hansen scotty hansen that everybody's just all about now i say this as somebody who prefers to set up four screens on i NFL was gonna say Aspen.
1: yeah you don't need the red zone when you have your own personal caesar sportsbook set up in your living room
0: it- That's right. And so for me, I rather control my own red zone in a way where I've got the four screens going and I can flip one of the TVs sort of at my leisure. And then I sort of get a two remote system going and it's very semi like, you know, it's not OCD necessarily, but it's almost like beautiful mind type stuff. And so I just prefer, you know, sort of being in charge of my own thing. I've always said that I would be a phenomenal producer of that type of a channel, whether it was uh, hockey related, basketball related, or of course, like literally NFL related.
1: Listen, I'll tell you, if you had Scott Hansen as your broadcaster, I think you could do anything. He is, without question, the world's most talented traffic cop and when when you see you know occasionally the red zone pop along your, your tv when you when you see hansen up there for those brief brief moments he somehow knows what's going on right now in every single game he's broadcasting from this like digital NFL hellscape from like 2011 <laughs> for whatever reason. It just is the most atrocious looking little studio of all time. And I'm sure it's actually just a closet he's in and he is just, you know, I, like you don't see him cause it's usually covered by, you know, the games happening, but I just imagine he's in there just pointing this way and pointing that way and telling me who got hurt over there. Who's in the red zone over here? Who just made a big play over here? And it's just all perfect. And it's honestly, mesmerizing just because of Hanson in there just making things happen
0: yeah I think I could do it there there I said it I think I could do it and I think and I sort of say listen I'm not very good at really anything right like I'm okay some stuff and just because he has the role and then there's the other guy right on the NFL, there's the NFL network version of this just because they have the role, right? Like most things in life, just because this person has the role doesn't mean they're the best at it in the world. I think that I, I'm going to say I could do it. I'm not going to say I could do it better than them, but I feel like I should be in that spot because nobody follows a million games at the same time as well as I do. And I sort of, Warm up to it on college football Saturdays, back when all of the colleges played at the same time, or college basketball Saturdays, where I've got, you know, four times the amount of games that are going on. Like, people are overwhelmed by these 10 game, one o'clock slates. And I'm like, that's nothing. I'm used to 20 game slates in college <laughs> sports on a Saturday. Like, I'm kicking my feet up come Sunday in mid season, right? When I'm yeah. in mid season four, mid October, like, on, on, You know, here in Canada, Thanksgiving weekend in October, I got a turkey going in the oven, and I'm following 10 games at once, and I don't even
1: blink. So, And you're somehow – you have the world's most elaborate, like, self-produced Excel sheet all happening at the same time on your computer. I don't even know what's going on there. Just typing in numbers with one hand just to, you know – based in the turkey with the other it's all
0: happening (laughs) that's right that's right so yeah when these when you you know you normal people watch uh red zone which of course is still an advanced move for most people um i sort of guffaw and go listen I, i am my own red zone So, you know, what, um, it
1: keeps you as a regular human, too, because the red zone turns you into a football watching sociopath because like I'm watching a Sunday night game and oh, my God forbid, there's just one game on. It really is the worst. And and just some poor guy, you know, they're, they're sacrificing their bodies and some poor guy twists an ankle or, you know, twists a knee and he's on the field. And in my mind, after watching red zone all day, I'm like, all right, let's get this guy off the field. All right, pal. yeah. Well, let's get it's, to the
0: other injury over yeah. uh, over in New York. Or like honestly, so like isn't
1: there can't, isn't there a, a shot transition? And we could go to something else. This is really wasting my time.
0: Well, so speaking of which, you know, Sunday night, right? Things die down, and yeah, you do have to sort of survive the million commercial breaks, right? And it never becomes more clear how many commercial breaks there are than on Sunday night football, where it's like kickoff commercial, you know. Touchback commercial, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So this Sunday night we had a second sporting event that ended up being at well, I shouldn't say as interesting because I'm obviously going to lean to the NFL across the board there. But you had, of course, the Denver and LA uh, game two. What was your watching setup for that? Because the Patriots and the Seahawks is a pretty good matchup, so I wouldn't say that you're going to just give up on the Sunday nighter as if it were, you know washington football team against the giants or something like that so how locked in were you on the basketball game if at all
1: i was basketball game was second screen basketball game was actually on the laptop tv i'm not in a location at the moment where i have my multi-screens but a laptop screen it works just as well so that's where that was it was muted i wasn't paying that much attention to it i was just kind of watching the score if you know what i mean Mm um and football had the football had the main tv i was just in the football groove and and also of course the golf was on the second screen for most of the day as well. So it's you know what this weekend and there was a lot of soccer on too. It's just it's almost too much. I know we all love this sports equinox stuff, but I'm I'm
0: getting a little overwhelmed with everything happening at one time. It's, it can be overwhelming. And listen, even as I say that I can watch a billion games or keep an eye on a billion games at once, that uh, that was rather intense. So did you have a bet on the NBA game if that's what your inference about watching the score on the Yeah, on the game? I was just I was just in on Denver have... cover. So I'm so
1: I'm all okay. I'm happy with how this goes. Yeah, and that's it, honestly I didn't feel like good about it. Uh, this is this is one that I did not think was going to happen. But, yeah, no, it, it was no. just a shot in the dark. Because, again, like I talked about, Jamal Murray being from, you know, close to my hometown. I'm like, I'll support these Nugs. And they're uh, the first few games of a series. They haven't necessarily been impressing anyone. But it, there comes a point where you just got to kind of ride with it.
0: Yeah, and I I talked about it last week, how I was staying away from game one, because I think they know full well they don't need to win game one, or at least they think that they didn't need to win game one. But I was going to be on them no matter what happened in game two. So I'm good to see that we were both winners on Sunday night in that case. And so you also referenced the other big event, which was the U.S. Open, of course. And so, listen, you're a guy who is as much of a feel player as anyone I know. Uh, I never know when I show up to play sort of what your move is going to be that, that day, whether it's around the greens, whether, you know, you're not using a driver, you're only using a driver. I don't know what you're up to. We'll play
1: it by ear, baby. Exactly.
0: And plus you are a stupid hat averse type of a gentleman. So do you have the same visceral reaction to Bryson DeChambeau winning as everyone else? Like what's, where are you with, uh, with Bryson? I have a few golf thoughts. When it comes to Bryson,
1: honestly, it's, I am, if anything, in it, it's the same feel I kind of have with Patrick Reed, where it's just a dude that's kind of an individual, and I like it. Like whether he's um, a fan favorite, or if he has some kind of charisma, but he's kind of, you know, he's a bit of a heel through no fault of his own, other than just being a bit of a weirdo, but it like, just that he's a unique dude. And I don't want to single out Justin Thomas because Justin Thomas is like right now, my poster boy for just the elite generic PGA golfer. Like I know he's not, but he just kind of, Comes off like that, and Bryson is the opposite of that. So, like, I don't really love the dude, and I think his hat looks ridiculous. I hope he's trolling us with the hat, although I don't know if he has the self awareness to do that. And just having a dude that, like, you you know what I like? I like flipping on the TV or just glancing at the TV and seeing a dude in without any fonts or keys or screens or graphics up on the screen, knowing who it is hitting the ball. I like that, and Bryson's that dude.
0: Yeah, and that's. Right. Like why no, I shouldn't say why Tiger was so um, successful, but it really kind of was in a way where in like 1997, all of those guys looked the exact same. Right. Like yeah. I've watched uh, it's a couple years ago, I remember watching like old you know, Ryder cup highlights, right. They would be like Ryder cup week. And it'd be like, let's show the one from Brookline in 1990, whatever. And, you know, some of the names that were on these teams were hilarious in just how bland golf was <laughs> back in 1996. And you're just it's like, true. there's no wonder, like he didn't, Tiger didn't even have to be that good. It was because he was amazing that like things obviously escalated to a certain level. Yeah. But Pre-Tiger. He so He was so unique. It was like, of course he's going to be famous.
1: Yes. Pre-Tiger, the three things on tour that stood out were Greg Norman's stupid hat, Nick Faldo's beautiful hair playing Sans hat, God bless him, and Tom Kite's glasses. These are the three things he had that set people apart. Other than that, every dude was the exact same. Then Tiger comes along, who's obviously, he's black, he's Asian, he's in better shape than anyone's ever been on tour, and it was just fantastic.
0: But it's funny, like, the evolution of sport, and I don't know about you, but, like, I've had conversations where people ask if they've seen, you know, when they see a long drive competition, like, on the Golf Channel, and they're like, why aren't these guys on tour? And you're like, you know, because they have no real idea where the ball's going, they're probably really (laughs) bad in the short game, like, all of this type of stuff. I just like that he's, like, clearly taking that strategy and going that route it's a golf version of nothing but threes and layups, right? He's like the Houston Rockets golf. And that really bothers a lot of people because the Houston Rockets bother me. And, you know, so he understands though, that finishing 20th every week is kind of a waste of time, historically speaking, right? Like nobody gives, you know, a shit about Matt Kuchar, you know, rolling up top 20s. Like, it's great for him and his family that he gets to make a living just being, you know, thoroughly pretty decent,
1: but never having... uh, It's not good for his Puerto Rican caddy.
0: (laughs) No. And so, but he, you know, but Matt Kuchar doesn't have the... You know, didn't. I'm going to say it in the past because I think he's sort of done now. But, like, you know, he hasn't had that, like, polar element of, like, he's going to miss cuts, but he's also going to win tournaments. And when you're looking at golf now... You might as well just ball out, and sometimes you're going to miss the cut, but when you have it going, you're going to win more often because that's all anybody cares about. Like He's not only figured out this whole power element. He's figured out, historically speaking, that people only really care about majors, right? And this, like, you just have to win a couple of these course of basically 15 years to be a hall of famer to you know obviously you know be secure in your card for like maybe forever depending on sort of how many you win but like that's kind of the right strategy sort of getting into like oh we gained a bunch of weight or whatever but he's like you know what like i'll do whatever it takes to go wild one week and be awful for two weeks and then wild again another couple weeks because that's what matters here because it's not like they need to be grinding out for a check every week because when you won a major back in 1996 it's like yeah okay you probably made what like 300 grand and like that's nice but like you still had to win some more tournaments and you still had to win some checks regularly now you win a major you win two million bucks like You're pretty set if you just win one of them. And so from that standpoint, I think it's really cool. I think DJ with
1: the FedEx Cup won more than Greg Norman did his whole career or something. Yeah, so the money is absolutely legit. And do you think has Bryson, you know, besides winning, has he he talked about what his inspiration was or what motivated him for this change? Because when you start describing it like that, I think that he was just looking – at Brooks Kepgum being like, yeah. Look at this at me- this meaty guy that only gives a shit about majors. I can do that too. And he just doubled down on it.
0: Yeah, like that, and that's kind of what I mean, right? Where he looks at Brooks and goes, wait a minute. Like, wow, Brooks really doesn't give a bleep about this tournament whatsoever. And I should really not care about this tournament. But wait, how can I not care about this tournament? Oh, I gotta win a handful of majors like Brooks has. And how has he done that? Oh, he's bombed the bleep out of these courses and the rough doesn't bother him. So how do I make it so that I am unbothered by the rough? Right. And so you have this now narrative that is, you know, we always talk about narratives all the time, especially with the NFL betting stuff and how you got to fade all of that kind of stuff. Whereas like this golf narrative of like, you have to hit the fairways, you know, at, you know, Harding Park at first, and then now uh, Winged Foot. And it's like, yeah, none of that's true anymore. And we're getting, you know, in a weird way, sort of this indication from mainstream golf media that it's one thing, and we have to fade that the same way that I'm going to fade the picks on, you know, NFL game day on ESPN, right?
1: No, it's true. And it's like today when you told me, uh, you sent me a quick text saying, well, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll go over whatever things happen on the weekend us open being one and i'm like okay well i i watched like i said the us open on the second screen so i was watching but i wasn't really watching you know you got bryson on top which is fun you got wolf with two f's behind him it didn't get me too excited so i wasn't really going to turn the volume on and make that my primary watch so this afternoon i go to youtube where you can just find anything you want to find these days and it's like oh every one of uh bryson shots from the final round i'm like i'll throw that on the tv while i do a little work and like (laughs) without the context of how everyone else was doing you watch just bryson all his shots in the final round is kind of like well he's he does not seem like he's playing that well he's just all over the place he's in the rough every time and it's just without seeing everyone else struggling you would think he was playing like shit, but the old philosophy used to be you hit it into the U.S. Open rough, you could only get it out 80, 90 yards. Okay, well, he's yeah. 80, 90 yards away from the green every <laughs> right. time,
0: so right. it's fine. Like, I respect his attitude with it. It's no different than Brooks Kepka's attitude. It's just that Brooks sort of started earlier before he was famous, right? Was contending in, like, the Masters a couple of different times and obviously won in NCAA. He amateur so like that's getting you on tv a fair amount whereas brooks was sort of went through the back door to get on tour but like they're kind of doing the same stuff right it's just bryson's taking it to the next level and so i can't hate him for that it's all the tangent about ants and cameras you know <laughs> and all of this other stuff right like you don't to so- do any of that We'd be you, can,
1: you can hate him though and that's the fun yeah. thing like it's fun to have a bit like even if he doesn't mean to be villainous like patrick reed does like it's just being hateable gives him something because there's so many dudes out there where i just don't care and i just see, yeah. i'll see a name on the top of the leaderboard And it's unfair to them well not that they care but like that i just immediately tune out when there's certain things I see up on the leaderboard, I'm like, Oh no, not into it. And they, yeah, if, guys... if Harris English yeah. <laughs> is
0: leading the tournament, you're like, I don't, I'm just, it's not
1: about... it. Hey, how about this? Who would have guessed? Well, I guess if we, if we really broke it down and thought about it, but golf without fans, um, I think it impacts the viewing experience in the, in the negative way. And football without fans, honest to God, the fans can never come back other than it being weird looking at these brand new stadiums with no one in them. But, Just like, I I guess it's because there's very few shots in football where the crowds even featured, but just football without fans just not phased whatsoever golf and especially tennis without fans was just like, eh.
0: well, I I mean, uh, the golf thing I'll push back a little bit because I'm like, with the exception of sort of the final round and really just the last few holes and sort of significant shots, right? The Morikawa chip-in, the Morikawa drive from the PGA. I mean, this past one with DeChambeau, like, I'm not sure there – I need the crowd to be, like, going nuts here. But you're absolutely right, and I agree wholeheartedly with the NFL. And for me, it's actually – so this is going a little off the board here, considering this is, you know, in theory, in theory and in practice a sports podcast – but my partner in life Emily has been was watching the Emmys on Sunday night right yeah. while I was watching the NFL and she had watched the country music awards the previous week and so she's today and she thought they were both good without like fans and all of that kind of stuff and like, or like large gatherings. And I was like, so you, you just don't think we need people anymore? She's like, yeah, I think I'm out on people. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, because the NFL stuff is sort of staged, right? Whenever they shoot the fans, right? It's always that like guy like leaning over the bailing and like waving at the, at, you know, into the camera. And like the team could be down 20 points and there could have just been like a punt, right? That it happened in between. Like it's never yeah, like very- score a touchdown, go to the fans.
1: In the actual game, there's very few shots where the fans are ever kind of featured. The only one I can think of off the top of my head is, like, the kickoff when they do that um, flyover camera from behind the guy kicking the ball. But that's a big who cares. So, yeah, I was just surprised. Like, just, like, other than sitting and listening to the color commentator and the play-by-play guy sit and try to suss out how much of a difference the hard count effectiveness is with like with <laughs> right. no fans yeah. it's like oh, i think it's a big deal i don't think it's a big deal at all like it doesn't okay. it doesn't even enter my mind that's just a bloodbath of a sunday holy smokes
0: yeah and you don't want to be the guy going like i don't remember the last time you know like has there ever been this many injuries as if like you know i track that on a week-to-week basis from like 2008 or something but it's like yeah i mean that i just don't know why it was this week versus Last week, right? Like, if we were going to tie in the whole, like, didn't have a preseason. First of all, I would need guys to play more in the preseason to sort of legitimize that. And you know what I mean. And then it's sort of it, it things just started snapping in week two. Like, it needed a. Game. Well, it's so weird how yeah. it just kind of.
1: It was like some. I, I don't. I don't know. It's just a coincidence, obviously. But it's like with Saquon. Saquon goes yeah. and he has a run. And uh, if you saw the first one where he fell, um. He fell back and embraced himself with his left arm, and it bent funny, and I was like, oh, he's done. His arm is no longer connected to his body. It's like right. it's like I, everything just appears to have been dislocated. But no, of course, he's good. He, he gets back up, and he's in there like a, a, a play or two later, and then he goes and messes up his knee and says, what are the
0: chances of that?
1: It's just in so a, football.
0: Yeah, and in a very innocuous way, right? And, and in theory, on the on the turf, that's sort of the most – i would say in the nfl right like that sort of soldier field long grass type setup isn't like the you know turf at MetLife where you know people are sort of complaining about that so uh, yeah, all in all shit luck. super weird super weird yeah, sh- yeah exactly brutal luck um but you know i don't know we'll see what happens here in week three with all regards to the injuries and that sort of thing uh all i know is ted balentine's got all his limbs on yet another <laughs> tuesdays with ted thank you brother Thank you. Always fun to get Ted's take. As for me, I'm at MRusAuthentic on Twitter. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Until next time, I'll see you at the window.